It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. A lot to discuss today. There's so many moving parts uh, and so many challenges for this country uh, at home and abroad. Uh, we're going to talk to General Jack Keane about that. Did you hear about the explosion that happened in Israel, excuse me, in Iran? It looks as though they suddenly lost power at a nuclear power plant in Natanz, where it's believed they're weaponizing uranium. So the Israelis, looking to take things into their own hand, might just have blinked the lights and set back that program about a year. Good job. They did not deny it. My sense is they're behind it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Former President Trump's speech at an RNC donor retreat. Trump again repeated the dangerous lie that he won the November election. That's not true. He called the results BS. He blasted Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as a dumb son of a bitch for not blocking the Electoral College certification. According to a person in the room, Trump received huge applause. Trump speaks to his party about his future, but more about his past, and not too many are happy. He points most of his anger inside the tent, while Joe Biden's radical policies has helped money pour into the party. Unless they come together, this country will increase its superpower status, and the GOP will find themselves the ones to blame. Number two. Uh, this administration made a decision early on. We want to do opposite of what President Trump did. They were warned by the Border Patrol in advance that if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. This is now what's happened. We've got the highest number of people coming illegally across the border that we've seen in 15 years. Yeah, I would think so. You're not going to believe some of these numbers. She won't go. He won't talk about it. I'm talking about the vice president and President Joe Biden. They refuse to address the biggest problem facing America, the chaos at our southern border. COVID-positive illegals pour in. 35,000 unaccompanied minors are here from last, uh, expected to be here by June. 53,000 family units detained and billions are being spent to sustain them. This cannot stand. Number one. And I've been in Congress long enough to remember when bipartisanship was not unusual and that actually building infrastructure has never been a partisan issue. Yep. They made it partisan under President Obama by shrinking the bill. Hopefully the need is so obvious now that Republicans will vote for it. Oh, yeah. And she is so bipartisan. Nancy Pelosi. Is she kidding me or is she bipolar? That's more like it. Uh, a word President Biden uses bipartisanship but not what his policies do. The latest example is infrastructure. Most Republicans would agree to infrastructure, but the Dems put all this stuff in. There's nothing to do with infrastructure. The pollsters show it's popular with the Republicans, but not with GOP lawmakers. Do you buy it? I don't. There's going to be $240 billion for roads and bridges, high-speed rail and airports. Good. $174 billion charging stations for electric cars. Are you sure? $100 billion for broadband to rural areas. I'm actually for that. $111 billion replacing 100% of lead pipes in the country. I did not know that was a urgent issue. $400 billion to care for elderly and people with disabilities. $100 billion to get this, force the unionization of workers. And, of course, you have $200 billion to tell these communities, local mayors, to give up your zoning laws to allow affordable housing or unaffordable housing to be put into your neighborhood. 
Nothing to do with infrastructure. It's called social engineering, and that's the issue. And people realize that. And what mo- people aren't saying, what bothers me most, is if, you know, you don't want to put money into Amtrak, but you want to put it into airports. Let's debate it. You want that high-speed rail across the country instead of um, supersonic jets. Let's debate it. Uh, you want to expand these airports, but it would bring more traffic and hurt neighborhoods. Let's debate it. But when you say, I want to get elder care and child care, and I want to do zoning laws and unionize, you know New Green Deal, they're putting together a green police force. When you know they're doing all this, it's agenda items. New Green Deal would never make it on its own merits. Why are they hiding it? If you're so proud of it, put it in a separate bill. We'll vote on it. We did vote on it. And it's called Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders scared you so much you nominated Joe Biden, Democrats, because you were afraid he would win. Here's Chris Christie, cut 13. Because all he's put forward is this faux infrastructure package that is a liberal wish list of things that they want to do. And guess what? They won the election. So they get to put forward their wish list. But you got to put it forward honestly. Joe Biden's got to stop not telling the truth. And if he stops not telling the truth and makes the case for increasing the size of Medicaid, then see if you can pass it or not. But I guarantee you that you can pass a real infrastructure package in this country. Republican governors are going to want it. Republican mayors are going to want it. And guess what? Republican senators are going to want to go home and say, I fixed that road. I fixed that bridge. I fixed that tunnel. Yeah, and that's true. So what he would say is, you go bottom up. President Biden is right about that. If you go to these mayors, they say, listen, no one even knows if I'm a Republican or Democrat. Think about it. Does your county executive, if you have one, do you even know if they're Republican or Democrat? Because things at such the fundamental foundational level, you don't really think that's a Democratic issue. You want to get shots in arms. You want to get uh, you you want to get testing. You want to get whole uh, potholes fixed. You want to put uh, broadband in. You don't think I'm a Democrat. That's a Republican. There would be so much pressure on Mitch McConnell. He'd probably sign off on it reluctantly. Now, Nancy Pelosi knows she doesn't have the votes because Joe Manchin has come out and said in a column, not in an interview, but in an editorial, I will not do this deal on reconciliation, which means no Republican buy-in. I will only do it if we can get 60 votes, and I'm not going to vote to get rid of the filibuster. Maybe that's why Nancy Pelosi said this. Cut 12. I have no doubt that we will have a great bill in the House. I hope that it will be bipartisan. I've been in Congress long enough uh, to remember when bipartisanship was uh, not unusual, and that uh, actually growing, building infrastructure has never been a partisan issue. Mm-hmm. They would only make it, they made it partisan under President Obama by shrinking the bill. Hopefully the need is so obvious now uh, that Republicans will vote for it. We'll see. I'm not, uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, the door is open, our hand is extended. Yeah. Let's find out where we can <laughs> right. find our common ground. Exactly. Yeah, let's see the hand. Oh, my God. I, oh, my hand is extended. I mean, you, you need some votes. That's why, if you just were honest and say, why was it necessary to put child care in there? Why was it necessary to put elder care in there? Why was it necessary to put together a green militia group? Why does that make sense? Let alone the stuff that we haven't flushed out yet. So let's fast forward to immigration because I want to be able to take some calls. one 408 7669 I'm going to give you some numbers. They're real. Over 20,000 unaccompanied minors came last month. They're projected to have 35,000 by June. We already give $60 million a week just for the solo kids, let alone the 53,000 families that are still in this country, some of which we're letting go. They're arriving in buses and being sent out into the interior of our country. No way to catch up with them. But 
20,000 children and teenagers are in custody of the government system. They're supposed to be in and out in 72 hours. They say it's 103%. I think it's much over that. They have 17,000 in shelters run by the health department. But all the Biden team wants to do is talk about building more facilities. I don't want them here. I want them lining up in asylum rules and find out if they can get uh, citizenship here, find out if they're eligible for it. I don't want them walking across because I care just as much uh, from um, uh, the Central American nations, as I do about Brazil. Why do Brazilians have to take a back seat? Why do Costa Ricans have to take a back seat? Why do Norwegians have to take a back seat? Why do Nigerians have to take a back seat? Because they didn't want to uh, break the law and come here illegally? Is that right to you? In Australia, they wouldn't consider this. Are they horrible people? In New Zealand, you don't have a shot at walking there. Are they horrible people? What happens if you do that? You think in Russia, how does, no one wants to go to Russia, period. But you think you just walk through their border? So evidently, the president, according to the New York Times, the president expressed frustration with Xavier Becerra, the new secretary of HSS, in a White House meeting on March 30th for what the president views as bureaucratic holds up to increasing capacity. The president still doesn't get it. He won't go down and visit it. The vice president was asked to handle it. She would have made one call and doesn't plan on going anywhere for three weeks. Susan Rice, the director of domestic policy, no wonder it's not working out. She's a walking disaster. And Amy Pope, the president's senior advisor for migration issues, have been aggressively pressing officials from the health department and other immigration services for explanations about the failure to quickly move more than 4,000 migrant youths out of jail-like detention facilities. So they keep the news media out. They continue to do it. And the news media just compliantly looks the other way. How do they sleep at night? Joe Biden's immigration actions, reversing the order. You want to go through some of them? The 100-day moratorium of deportations. Why wouldn't you come? Create a task force to reunify families. Okay, that's interesting. Why don't I go show up at the border and say I need to catch up with my family? Reinstated, deferred uh, the DACA, so they stay. Revokes President Trump's executive order on interior immigration enforcement. Provides a review of any agency arising from the executive order. In other words, ICE, defanged. No longer places asylum seekers in migration protection protocols. So they don't stay in Mexico. Order a 100-day review of asylum eligibility for victims of domestic violence and gang violence. If they get delayed, they get put in. Ordered a review of the cap of the number of refugees and then halted part of Title 42. You know what the part is? If you're an illegal, unaccompanied minor, you get to stay. So if you let them stay, what's going to happen? We're getting Ecuador, Honduras, Guatemala's entire youth population. The New York Post writes in uh, uh, the editorial board writes this. Biden-Harris won't address this. Central America doesn't seem to think the messages are mixed at all. The number of illegal migrant encounters at the border rose 71 percent from February to March because of Biden's policies essentially come on in. In his first day in office, the president ordered the end of all wall building at the border. 100-day pause on deportation. He wasn't looking back. They can't address the root causes of the surge without admitting the huge part of their own policies play and expected uh, things to get and expect things to get worse. So. Keep in mind, Newt Gingrich just told this on television. He believes they're doing this on purpose. I don't. They don't want to deal with this. They would much rather focus on what they call accomplishments, the $1.9 trillion, the need for $2.2 trillion, getting back in the Iranian deal. They never thought this was going to happen like this, and they're almost incapable of solving it. When we come back, we'll talk about the number one story, and that's the uh, – and that's uh, we're not going to – excuse me. When we come back, we're also going to talk about Donald Trump – at Mar-a-Lago, 
He gave a speech. Some liked it. Most didn't. I don't think it's going to unify the party, even if you're the most fervent Trump supporter. If you are horrified by what is happening in this country right now, in my mind, you cannot be pleased with the content of that speech at Mar-a-Lago in front of all those donors and those GOP VIPs. You can tell me I'm wrong. More than happy to hear it. one 408 7669 Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The way you lose elections is to talk about the past. The way you lose elections is to look in the rearview mirror and act that way. Voters want you talking about the future. We need to stop attacking each other and we need to talk about the future and contrast ourselves to the Democrats. And, and if President Trump is able to figure out how to do that, great, join the chorus. But, but if he isn't, now, we're only, listen, we're only 11 weeks in, so I'm not ready to just say this is the way it's going to be for the next two years. But if he's not able to do that, then he's going to diminish himself. And that's, uh, that's my worry, because uh, I don't think this is any moderate Joe Biden. This guy is radical. He's adopting the green agenda. He's looking to pack the court, has a commission to do it. You saw what he already did with the $1.9 trillion, and you see what he now he's doing with the Iranian deal let alone watchers just stand by and watch Ukraine get steamrolled as 75,000 troops gather at the border of that country in Russia. So meanwhile, a slew of this is going to Axios, a slew of well-heeled Republican National Committee donors descended on Palm Beach, uh, excited to schmooze and eager for access to Donald Trump and the other potential 2024 nominees, that including uh, Ron DeSantis. Trump's speech didn't do any of that. Quote, it was horrible, it was long and negative, according to one attendee. It was dour. He didn't talk about the positive things that his administration has done. Instead, Trump used the final night of the retreat to talk about himself, his grievances, and how he plans to enact retribution against those who voted to impeach him. Trump's biggest applause line came when he said the GOP would win back the House in 2022 and the presidency in 2024. He lavished praise on Ron DeSantis. Here's what Maggie Haberman said 
of the New York Times. Cut 27. What they're trying to do is squeeze Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg is the longtime Trump executive who knows where all of the finances have been over decades. He worked for Fred Trump, not just Donald Trump. What they're trying to do is squeeze him. Now, whether that's successful, I think, is a, a very open question. Whether their case has much more to it, uh, I think, we will find They've out. They've got a former daughter-in-law cooperating. They've got a former daughter-in-law cooperating. They have subpoenaed several financial records. Uh, you know, they are talking to any number of people. They're going through Donald Trump's taxes, which are millions of pages. So this is going to take a little bit of time, but it is absolutely clear that the investigation is accelerating, and every move Vance has made so far looks as if he's going to make a case. All right, that was a different topic, but what I wanted to discuss anyway, and that is, it looks like they are really clamping down and then heating up with this investigation on Donald Trump's finances. Why? This guy Weisenberg is their CFO, and the CFO, evidently just a great loyal guy, was worked for his dad, and uh, they feel as though that they can crack him and find out what Donald Trump was a part of. Now, he shouldn't be part of anything. The only reason this investigation happened is because he became president and is a Democratic AG looking to become governor. They're looking to make Donald Trump pay for being a successful businessman. They had no problem with his taxes before. If they had to fine him or give him a, a refund, they would handle it. But this is all about retribution and politics. But it is heating up. It is concerning. What they're doing is getting Weissenberg's former daughter-in-law to out what Donald Trump did. So they're just trying to break him any way possible. So that is a different soundbite than what I wanted. Here's what uh, Haberman said as the New York Times reporter who, believe it or not, Donald Trump talks to and gave her a follow-up interview. She's writing a book about the time since Election Day from January 6th until the impeachment and then beyond. Uh, he says that he spent as much time attacking Mitch McConnell as he did talking about the future of the party. There was a Republican National Committee donor event, and it was there. He chose to attack the most prominent Republicans who exist in the country at the moment. Also continued to attack Mike Pence, the former VP, whose life was threatened. This is the dilemma Republicans have. Republicans, not all of them, but there are Republicans willing to criticize him. Uh, there are any other member Republicans who went down to kiss the ring at Mar-a-Lago. And as long as that is going to happen, Trump is going to retain a presence in the party. The question is how present. And he's going to be voted on, believe it, by some separate board, whether he gets back on Facebook or not. The social media thing has hurt him. But what's hurt the president more than the former president more than anything else is January 6th and how he's acted since. I mean, right now, his policies look so much better than Joe Biden's policies, so much better for business, so much better on international affairs, so much better on the border. Let them breathe. And as this economy bounces back, you know, last night they talked about Operation Warp Speed on 60 Minutes and what was done in record time to bring this vaccine to market. More and more fingers are coming his direction. Clapping will be going his direction. The way he took on his own party, let alone the other party. But he has not found that uh, I'm over it mix of saying I lost that election, but I'm going to be Grover Cleveland, come back for the next. I may or may not. And just build on what he's doing. Don't even talk about January 6th. We're already forgetting about January 6th. We're already forgetting about what's going on with these phone calls in, in Georgia. A lot of the stuff that he wanted to see happen, the pandemic loosening of all the voting rules, are now being brought back in. The elastic is out. On 47 states, they've voted in some way, shape, or form to bring some order back to the voting process. When we come back, General Jack Keane's going to join us, and the general is going to be talking about what's happening with Iran, these negotiations, as well as the belligerent behavior of China, what we learned from Anthony Blinken yesterday, and beyond when it comes to China and what we would do to defend Taiwan. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action now. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. As a major strategic partner for the United States, our bilateral relationship with Israel in particular is central to regional stability and security in the Middle East. During our meeting, I reaffirmed to Minister Gantz, our commitment to Israel is enduring and it is ironclad. And I pledge to continue close consultations in order to ensure Israel's qualitative military edge and to strengthen Israel's security. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin uh, reaffirms his enduring bond with Israel today. But yesterday, some interesting things happened. Uh, essentially, there was a huge power loss to the Natanz uh, nuclear site where it was believed they were enriching uranium to weapons level, weapons grade level. Israel will not tolerate a nuclear weapon with Iran. What other proof do you need? How many times do we have to see it? General Jack Keane might be one of the few people not surprised this, uh, this measure may or may not have been taking place on, the, on behalf of the Israelis to stop the Iranians. General, welcome back. I'm delighted to be here always, Brian. General, from what you can ascertain from the New York Times report last night, what could you tell us happened to the nuclear facility and may have happened to the nuclear facility in Iran? Yeah, well, the Israelis have been conducting uh, something of a massive uh, espionage campaign inside of Iran now for uh, a number of years. And uh, last July, that same nuclear facility, Natanz, was, uh, was blown up and put out of action x number of uh, weeks and months and and what we have here is another explosion that took place at the same facility this one focused on the power grid which shut down uh, the nuclear facility's capacity for their advanced centrifuges to be spinning and enriching uranium so in other words it shut down their nuclear program and likely i'm I'd likely it would take some analysis uh, to actually determine uh, more precisely what it would be. But I, I would imagine it'll be a setback of at least several months to, to the Iranians based on uh, the Israelis' action. This action has been carried out largely by the Mossad, which is the Israelis' uh, intelligence service, and they have a significant history of, of success here, and uh, not the least of which was back in uh, – in 2018, they took out of a classified warehouse truckloads of, of documents, uh, the Mossad did. This warehouse was in Tehran. Yep. And they exposed the content of those documents to the world, which absolutely indicated that Iran was determined to have nuclear weapons and everything that they're saying that it's about nuclear energy, a civil use of, of, of nuclear power is a lie. It, they have always wanted a nuclear weapon, and this is uh, and this is why the Israelis are so intent on slowing it down. Yeah, it looks like, according to the report, they believe the Harat uh, newspaper in Israel says it looks like they uh, it was a severe blow to the country's ability to enrich uranium and make at least nine months to restore it. And then the Israeli army chief was asked, "Hey, did you guys do this?" And this uh, chief Aviv Kakavi said. The country's, quote, operations throughout the Middle East are not hidden from the eyes of the enemies. So 
Yeah, it was probably us, those people that went out and assassinated the scientists building these plants. Yeah, that was probably us, meaning them, Israelis. But the Saudis and uh, all the others in the area look at Iran as the problem. And if we're not going to address it, they're going to address it themselves, right? Oh, yeah, that, that's that, that's very true. Um, they, they, they fully recognize uh, Iran's determination here. And, and I think uh, maybe the timing of this, uh, certainly, Brian, uh, by the Israeli leadership, has something to do with the, the Vienna talks that are taking place uh, with Iran. And I, and, and I believe what uh, they may conclude, like uh, we are concluding, and these talks uh, could be on a, uh, an unwelcome, dangerous path where the United States, uh, it, in its desire to get Iran back into full compliance with the original nuclear deal, they have violated that by advancing using advanced centrifuges and also enriching uranium from the less than 4% to 20%. So if they come back into full compliance, uh, they want complete relief of sanctions. And the United States appears on a path to do something at least similar to that. And that may give the Israelis real pause for concern here. And they may have lit this match, figuratively speaking, to get people's attention and, and and to remind everybody how dangerous this situation is with the uh, with the Iranians. So now we're over in Vienna, General, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but this was my worry. I think maybe yours. They were just going to acquiesce and look to go back to a deal that would never even get the majority of votes from a Democratic-led Senate. Uh, to go back into the 2015 deal, and we know a lot of this stuff expired within 10 years, and a deal that uh, allowed them to still have ballistic missiles uh, unrestricted and still— have their terror activities reign supreme in the Middle East. So do you think we're heading that direction? Lift all tariffs? Sorry, we're, we're going to lift all sanctions? And uh, I'm sorry what happened under the Trump years? Just forget it? Well, it, there are indicators that that is the case, and it certainly gives me a lot of concern about it. Um, first, when the, the administration came in, uh, they began to talk about the nuclear deal and the desire to get back into the original deal of 2015. And you're right, uh, President Obama could not have got approval of that deal uh, from a bipartisan Senate because they were opposed to it, and he took it to the U.N. And, they, and that was because Democrats and Republicans were very concerned that the deal was just simply a pathway to a nuclear weapon, which it, it actually is. So secondly— um, the concern has been that the Biden administration, and I think they were saying the right things when they a number of months ago when they took off, is saying we want to lengthen and strengthen the deal, not just sign in to the original deal, but improve it. Well, a lot of that public discourse has fallen off. We, we don't see those comments being made now, and their comments certainly have not been made along those lines in Vienna, at least uh, released to the public. And what we are talking about is in exchange for Iran's full compliance in returning to the original tenants of the deal and giving them sanction relief. And let's face it, I mean, the reason why Iran came out of the restrictions imposed by the original deal was certainly the United States came out of the deal, but they were using it as a ploy to uh, have the sanctions removed simply for going back to the original deal. And if that's all we do, then I think the Vienna talks will be uh, an absolute failure because the the original deal is so fundamentally flawed, and the administration admits that. The current administration has said what they would like to do 
is prohibit the use of ballistic missiles, which is not part of the deal. They would like to lengthen the sunset clauses. I believe we need a, an absolute prohibition on nuclear weapons permanently, but, but lengthening the sunset clause would be an improvement. And they also want to curb Iran's malign behavior in a region, which is absolutely crucial to what has taken place in terms of security and stability in the region. That is what they were talking about. Yep. But now there seems to be no indication of, of that. And the Iranians are tough, hardline negotiators. They rolled this at the Obama administration in 2013 and 2014 to get the 2015 deal, uh, much to their favor. And they're back here with the we have the same negotiating team in there as do the Iranians. And my concern is, is that we're not going to be as tough-minded as we should be to hold the Iranians' feet to the fire. You're so diplomatic. You know they're not. They want to go back to the deal they took so much pride in. This guy, Joseph Westfall, is a former U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia and former undersecretary of the Army. This is his take of what he's seen so far. Cut 38. I don't think we'll see a deal. I think we may see the start of negotiations to get to a deal. And just finally, what do you think is the biggest security risk facing the region today? Is it Iran? Absolutely one of the, one of the most serious is Iran. I think also the fact that Russia is so militarily involved, particularly with Syria, is, poses another big threat to the region and uh, the potential for escalation there. I would add to this, now it looks at like the Chinese are building, building a military base in Iran. So forget about their cooperation ever. Well, China and Iran certainly have had a relationship for years and have got formalized just recently by uh, an economic trade agreement, uh, which is eventually going to put uh, hundreds of billions of dollars into the Iranians' hands. They, uh, and, and, and certainly China is doing this uh, knowing full well that Iran needs China more than China needs Iran. And, and knowing full well that Iran is under economic sanction pressure and any cash infusion that they can provide to Iran will help relieve them uh, of that pressure so they, they can carry yeah. on their aggressive activities in the region. So uh, the, China knows what it's doing here. I mean, they know that Iran is strategically opposed by the United States and the, and the other Arabs in the, in the region, for sure. China uh, is artful here. I mean, they, they have relationships with all the other Arab states themselves. And they provide us economic assistance to them. And, and obviously, China is fundamentally dependent on Middle East oil. It, it cannot survive without it. So that is why it, it, it's involved in the Middle East, mostly economically. But as you're citing, this alliance with Iran is going to have some military uh, overtones to it as well. Absolutely. So uh, here's Anthony Blinken yesterday. He had a wide-ranging interview with Chuck Todd where he was pressed on absolutely nothing. But here he is on NBC talking about China needing to get to the bottom of what caused the pandemic. You think so? And also, what would happen if they encroach on Taiwan? Cut 40. What we've seen and what is a real concern to us is in increasingly aggressive actions by the government in Beijing uh, directed at Taiwan, uh, raising tensions in the straits. And we have a commitment uh, to Taiwan under the Taiwan Relations Act, uh, a bipartisan commitment that's existed for, for many, many years to make sure that Taiwan has the ability to defend itself and to make sure uh, that we're sustaining peace and security in the Western Pacific. We stand behind uh, those commitments. And all I can tell you is it would be a serious mistake uh, for anyone to try to change the existing status quo by force. So can you read between the lines in the diplomatic speak, General? Will we defend Taiwan militarily? 
Well, he doesn't say that. Uh, that he doesn't say that in in his statement there, and the Taiwan Relations Act doesn't say that either. It leaves that ambiguity there by design. Um, fundamentally, I I believe that yes. There's mounting tensions with Taiwan. Xi is absolutely committed, as much as he has crushed Hong Kong's democracy 25 years before the expiration of the treaty, I believe Xi fully intends to absorb Taiwan. He has tried intimidation and coercion, and all that has done is stiffen the resolve of the Taiwanese, who think of themselves as Taiwanese, not Chinese, and they want no part of mainland communist China's rule that they see now being imposed on Hong Kong, certainly in, in Taiwan. And, and they will fight, for sure. The, the, the question is, I think what the United States must do, and must do so, do so with a sense of urgency, because we are militarily outgunned in the region, we have need to bring in increased capacity to that region and also work very closely with our allies who have military capability in the region. And that, that was started under the Trump administration. It's got to be continued and it's got to be strengthened. But our commanders, the new Indo-Pacific commander, he's got a bill in it, it, it. He's got money in the budget that needs to be approved so he can get additional capability in the region. What am I what am I talking about here? We need more ships, we need more offensive missiles, we need more defensive missiles, we need more cruise and long range missiles, and we gotta get our hypersonic missiles deployed. The Chinese already have those deployed. These these are the things that must be done to prevent the Chinese from being incentivized to conduct a military operation against Taiwan. They've got to see that military capability there as being real. And it's not as real as it should be now because it's under capacity. And number two, they've got to understand that the United States and our allies will indeed respond and use it. That, that, those two things, capability and willingness to use it, resolve, is what gets you deterrence. That's what got us the deterrence for 40 years with the Soviet Union. And that is what we need now. And we've got to get on with doing that and do it with a sense of urgency. I don't think the Chinese want, like, people fight back. Taiwan would fight back, and they have armament, right? I mean, this would be a shooting war. Not like Hong Kong. Yeah. There's a number of things that China can do uh, without having to deal with an all-out invasion. They certainly can go for an all-out invasion. And for our audience to understand, Taiwan is less than 100 miles from mainland China. So there would have to be uh, an amphibious assault, led by uh, air attack, et cetera. But what they also can do is is uh, put some troops on one of Taiwan's offshore islands and dare Taiwan or the United States to do anything about it or blockade that island, which is an act of war itself. Or they can blockade a portion of Taiwan, uh, which would be an act of war, all of these short of an all-out invasion. So, yes, there's, there's a number of options that President Xi has, and what they're Number one option has been is intimidation and coercion, forcing the regime to capitulate and accept Chinese communist rule. And as I said, that has not happened. Nope. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that Xi still intends to absorb uh, Taiwan. I don't think it's imminent, but the likelihood of it is, is of it occurring in the next several years is increasing. General Jack Keane uh, is always in education, uh, four-star general, chairman of the Institute of the Study of War and Fox News senior strategic analyst. Thanks so much, General. 
Uh, great talking to you and your audience, Brian, as always. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, back in a moment with your calls, one 408 Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Does everything have to be a summary execution in America? What happened to just... Accepting the apology. Oh, okay, you made a mistake, as humans do. I mean, can we get on with our lives? This American bloodlust for groveling. It's just gross. I agree, uh, 100%. And I think that more and more, I listen to Bill Maher's monologue, I forget about his panel, I listen to his monologue, and I agree. It's as if to say that, uh, are we allowed to, before a boxing match, are we allowed to just box or do we have to take political positions first? And do we have to uh, guarantee this next? Can we just go by the old rules where you don't like the guy across from you, but you don't despise or wish he would go away or don't want him to exist anymore? And that's what's happening on a regular basis. I mean, you see with comedians uh, more than anything else now as they get back on onto the stage and you see with political pundits on a regular basis. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we saw it. I think the biggest example is President of the United States. I think a lot of people are thrown by the fact that he is still off social media and that Pauler still doesn't exist. Let's go to Eric listening on WNDB. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Great topic as usual. Um, I just have to take a little bit of issue. I, I think what was that Governor Christie that was talking about Trump? Um, what, yeah. they, they, they're disappointed that he didn't talk about his accomplishments. We've heard his accomplishments 500 times. I could rattle them off. I think Trump should go into the past a little bit. Like Mitt Romney, he needs to be dealt with. He wants, to, he's, he wants vindication, and he should. Mitt Romney is somebody that needs to be primary. And speaking of uh, he's got four more primaries, years. I, yeah, Marco Rubio and and Jeff and uh, Rick Scott, my senators, they're actually sponsoring a bill to forego due process. So if I have a fight with my neighbor, they could call up and say, "Hey, he's a little wacky. He's got guns," and then they kick my door in. And as far as Ron DeSantis, I have the best governor in the United States. I feel. I think I, you got two great senators too. My feeling is, I've been, I've heard his grievances more than I've heard about. His successes. But if you have donors in front of you, say, look at what we did. Look at what we can do. You don't say, hey, I have a problem with people in my own party. You don't fight in front of your family, in front of strangers you want money from. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Michael Goodwin from the New York Post will be with us in a matter of moments. His column is perfect uh, on for Sunday for this show. If it ain't broke, he'll break it, meaning about Joe Biden 
and the way he is blowing up the norms in the Constitution. I am not exaggerating. I'm not one to say that. I think you know that. And Dan Henniger will be with us here, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, his weekly column, Wonderland, appears in the Wall Street Journal on Thursday, and he's talking about the boycott of baseball and how ridiculous it is. The baseball who sold their soul in order to get Cubans here while paying back money to the communist regime and you're dealing with Venezuela suddenly has a problem with people that want to put uh, not enough drop boxes in uh, uh, drop boxes in every county or has a problem because people have to show ID before they get their no excuse ballot. Unbelievable. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. Former President Trump's speech at an RNC donor retreat. Trump again repeated the dangerous lie that he won the November election. That's not true. He called the results BS. He blasted Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as a dumb son of a bitch for not blocking the Electoral College certification. According to a person in the room, Trump received huge applause. Uh, Trump speaks to his party about his future, but more about his past. And not many are in the are happy about it. He points out his anger inside the tent, and that's a problem. If you want to beat Joe Biden, the Republicans can't lose a single voter, let alone people within their own higher-ups. Number two. Uh, This administration made a decision early on. We want to do opposite of what President Trump did. They were warned by the Border Patrol in advance that if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. This is now what's happened. We've got the highest number of people coming illegally across the border that we've seen in 15 years. Uh, That is uh, so true. She won't go. He won't talk about it. I'm talking about the VP and President Joe Biden. They refuse to address the biggest problem facing America, the chaos at our southern border. COVID-positive illegals pour in. 35,000 unaccompanied minors by June. 53,000 family units uh, detained. And billions are being spent to sustain them. This cannot stand. Number one. And I've been in Congress long enough to remember when bipartisanship was not unusual and that actually building infrastructure has never been a partisan issue. They made it partisan under President Obama by shrinking the bill. Hopefully the need is so obvious now that Republicans will vote for it. Right. She is so bipartisan. She just wants to make a deal. She seems so nice. Nancy Pelosi. Bipartisanship, a word President Biden uses, but it's not been putting into any of his policies. The latest example, infrastructure bill. Dems claim uh, and their pollsters show it's popular with Republicans at large, they say. Just not GOP lawmakers. Do you buy it? I don't. Let's ask Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, do you buy that this infrastructure plan, this one, is popular with Republicans? Good morning, Brian. Uh, No, I don't. And uh, for for a couple of reasons. First of all, most of it is not infrastructure. Yes. Uh, They have redefined the word as they are redefining the word bipartisanship to mean whatever they want it to mean. And so if you're not for everything in this bill, then you're not for infrastructure and you're not bipartisan. I mean, it's it's George Orwell, whether it's the Whoever controls the language controls the outcome, at least in their minds. Uh, But this is how they've been playing now since Biden took office. And it's really something to behold because it doesn't. It just doesn't pass the smell test, uh, you know, the, uh, denying that Trump did the vaccine uh, and then basically saying that whatever's happened at the border is just routine, seasonal. Uh, so you go. 
on and on and on, and everything they have said yep. is simply not true. I mean, it's for you, just not true. Two hundred thirteen billion dollars being offered to ditch zoning laws to allow affordable housing to be built in your neighborhood. A hundred billion for unionization, and they have a billion for child care, and then four hundred billion for elder care. Hey, you might like these issues if you're so confident. Put them in the right package. That's a health care package. You have two hundred forty billion for road and bridges. Okay, we got to go inside those numbers. One hundred seventy. $4 billion for charging stations for electric cars. Tell me what you mean. $100 billion for broadband for rural areas. We can get behind that. So there's things here, and you get bipartisan support, but they jam the other Green New Deal crap in there, and they want us to eat it. Well, and that's what's been happening, Brian, sort of slowly over the years in Washington, is everything becomes this big, big spending bill that nobody reads, and it's got all of these clauses attached to it. I think one of the things that the Democrats are doing here now is that in order to pass the things they want, such as the Green New Deal and all the regulations and tax hikes, they know that stuff is going to kill the economy. It's going to kill jobs, as we saw with the Keystone Pipeline cancellation. So to try to uh, goose the economy, despite these other plans, they're just throwing money at it. They're throwing money at everything that moves and breathes and even things that don't move and breathe just to try to juice the economy so that it doesn't collapse when they impose all these other restrictions and taxes and regulations. I mean, it may be that uh, they are counting on the Federal Reserve to keep printing money. That it's a, it's a reckless approach, as though there are no consequences for endless debt. There there is never going to be inflation uh, for all of this money that's being printed and pumped into the economy. I mean, it just seems a kind of right. make or break mentality that defies everything we know about uh, the economics. I want you to hear what Chris Christie said yesterday. He's the truth teller on these Sunday shows. Cut 18. Let's just be fair here. If Donald Trump had come out and called a dog a cat, which is what Joe Biden's doing, we would be outraged by the fact that he's lying. But with Joe Biden somehow, it's like, oh, well, come on, it's Joe. No, 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 no. It's not true. If he wants to make the case, George, for increased Medicaid payments and connected to those payments, mandatorily using SEIU union members? Let him make that case and see if he gets it passed. I know he won't. And the people around this table, whether they'll say it or not, they know it won't pass either. So he's just talking about just not even honest. He wasn't honest about the $1.9 trillion uh, care package, and he's not being honest now. And it brings up to something else that Joe Biden's trying to do. And I couldn't believe on Friday we're doing the show and I get this, uh, see this report. He's putting together a 36-person commission uh, on on whether the Supreme Court is still relevant today and maybe it's time to add some Supreme Court justices or or put a uh, 25-year limit or a 15-year limit on their service. Who is he to go regulate another branch of government? Yeah, yeah I think, uh, Brian, Chris Christie made an important point there. Oh, it's just Joe. Biden has this has cultivated this reputation of he's a he's a sincere man he's a he's he's kind he's grandfatherly uh, he's a little old he's a little bumbling at times but his heart is in the right place and I think that 
one of the things that I've tried to demonstrate with with this policies, and also particularly with the Hunter Biden situation, is Joe Biden is not a kind, decent, grandfatherly guy all the time. He may have those traits, but he also facilitated the corruption of his son's business career. Uh, that And it was corrupt because it was done because they were selling access to Joe Biden. And that's a fact. And there's no getting around it. And so if we want to sort of close our eyes and pretend that Joe Biden is just good old Joe, then the joke is going to be on us. Because what he is doing to this economy, what he's doing to our foreign relations, what he's doing to the institutions of government, what he's doing, I mean, he, he'll tell you that uh, America is systemically racist. Yep. And then the next sentence, he'll say, oh, but America is good and decent people. Well, which is it? We can't be both. I mean, it's that kind of bull and blarney, malarkey, if you want, uh, that just, I think, to me, says there's something right. going on here that we're not getting the straight story on. I, I know that you, owe, you know, you pretty much understood President Trump as much as anyone. You wouldn't apologize for him. He'd give you access. You'd tell him tough things. Uh, and you listen. Uh, so, so far, because of Joe Biden's ridiculous policies and eye-raising, eyebrow-raising policies, the GOP has raised a record $27 million this quarter, the highest ever. Meanwhile, the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, Admiral Lago, had all the big donors down to his Palm Beach resort. At which time, according to reports, uh, some people are saying it was absolutely horrible. All he did was go over his list of grievances, talk very little about his successes. He talked about enacting retribution. He talked about what a son of a bitch that Mitch McConnell is. He also went on uh, to say how Liz Cheney needs to be primaried and went on and how disappointed and angry he's still at it, Mike Pence. If you are going to win back the House and Senate and go come back— He's got to get over this. It's as if as if he doesn't understand what January 6th, the impeachment that followed, the exile that followed to January 6th didn't exist. What's it going to take for him to turn the page? Well, you're right, Brian, that uh, I think it, it's it's backwards looking. And I don't think in general that wins you an election. It doesn't win you converts to your cause. And so attacking Mitch McConnell, I think if you look at the Senate right now, you you don't even care if uh, some of these senators were pro-Trump or anti-Trump. You just want one or two more to stop the Biden juggernaut. Uh, you want Mitch McConnell to be majority leader. You don't even care what states they come from. I mean, to me, that's what, you know, when you're looking at what's good for America, it's not a purity test for Republicans. It's it's a simple numbers test. And I think, uh, look, Trump, th this is who Trump is in his in many ways uh, in his worst side, that uh, this this trying to keep score, trying to always even the score. I mean, I understand there are times and places for that. We all have that instinct. But with him, it's some it's it's often uncontrolled and I think out of tune with what he needs to do at this moment and what the country needs right. to hear from him. And I think people listening to us understand this. Uh, I, I like the president. I think he did, for the most part, an excellent job. I thought ever since the election, it was his worst moment. Uh, from the election day, a few days after election day, to January 6th and beyond, I think he's been at his worst. And I think it's, he would be at 55% approval rating just by not being Joe Biden right now.
If he had just said, I'm going to tour this guy through the White House, I really believe that these pandemic rules hurt me, but I'm going to be, I'll be back. I'll be Grover Cleveland. But he didn't do that. So that's the problem. Republicans can't use, uh, afford to lose a single vote. What could be his Achilles heel is this investigation. I understand it is really heating up and they're, toward, they're leaning more and more towards an indictment. Here's what Maggie Haberman of the New York Times, who the president mysteriously gave more time to to finish her book on him. Here's what she said yesterday, cut 27. What they're trying to do is squeeze Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg is the longtime Trump executive who knows where all of the finances have been over decades. He worked for Fred Trump, not just Donald Trump. What they're trying to do is squeeze him. Now, whether that's successful, I think, is a, a very open question. Whether their case has much more to it, uh, I think, we will find They've out. They've got a former daughter-in-law them. cooperating. They've got a former daughter-in-law cooperating. They have subpoenaed several financial records. Uh, you know, they are talking to any number of people. They're going through Donald Trump's taxes, which are millions of pages. So this is going to take a little bit of time, but it is absolutely clear that the investigation is accelerating, and every move Vance has made so far looks as if he's going to make a case. You know these players, Michael. You have a national perspective, but located in New York um, with New York Post. What do you hear is happening? Well, look, I, I think this is a, the New York City District Attorney, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance, as she's talking about. He's the one who has uh, gotten the Supreme Court approval to get Trump's taxes. And what he's looking at is basically tax fraud and business fraud. And it seems to be centered on uh, this, these reports that Trump, which Michael Cohen first started, that Trump would, uh, for purposes of getting a bank loan, inflate the value of a property, and then for purposes of paying taxes, would deflate the value of the property. So inflate it for your advantage, deflate it for your, to protect yourself on the downside. Uh, I don't know if there's any truth to that. Uh, the efforts done to it, to me, are uh, – this is clearly political persecution. This is, this is not I'm, – I'm sure if Donald Trump is guilty of something sure, here, I'm sure it is not unique to his real yeah, estate I business. I agree with you. This is and, – and I don't recall Cyrus fans being excited about the Clinton Foundation nope. with its financial shenanigans or the hundreds if not thousands of other real estate empires in New York that no doubt have engaged in very creative financing up and down the ladder for years. So this, I think, just comes back. And, and it's also – just quickly, uh, George Stephanopoulos mentions a, a former daughter-in-law. So um, – the CEO they're trying to squeeze, it's one of his daughters-in-law who's getting divorced from his son, and, and they're trying to use that divorce to get her to give up all kinds of family documents, uh, to, to, to get her former father-in-law. I mean, this is really scummy stuff. And, Michael, it never ha- if, if something happened in office, I'd go, okay, guys, let it go. This happened before. This was out there forever. Those, the, the IRS had access to him, access to these documents uh, all the time. They never, if they had a fine or a refund, they'd do it. Michael Cohen, who's trying to get revenge and rehabilitate himself, has had eight separate meetings, maybe nine meetings with them. Uh, it's incredible what's going on. I think if you want to divide the country again, you go indict the former president. Uh, go ahead. What is this, Brazil? Michael, thanks so much. I appreciate it.
My pleasure, Brian. You got it. A lot to discuss. one 408 7669 Went a little long. Then Dan Henniger at the bottom of the hour. We're going to go over the boycotting of baseball, the hypocrisy that is, and the 175 CEOs that went on a Zoom call this weekend. What they said and what they did coming your way. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, one 866 Let's go out to uh, Brian in Pearl River. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian, you're on. Okay, the silence makes me think he's in a delay. Hey, you're on. What's on your mind, Brian? Uh, Rob, WSKY in Gainesville. Hey, Rob. Hey, Brian. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, um, actually got a comment and a question. Okay. First of all, totally agree with you. President Trump has got to get past this because otherwise they're going to start talking and comparing him up to Hillary because she still hasn't gotten over 2016. Yep. The question that I've got for you is we've got all these airline executives now coming out against these uh, what they call voter suppression laws. Well, you've got to have an ID for everything. I mean, you can't even get a taxi, an Uber without showing an ID. A vaccine. You can't buy alcohol. Right. You can't get a vaccine. You can't get by alcohol, tobacco. You can't fly in an airplane. So are they going to start supporting getting rid of these things? Listen, it's not just airline executives, 176 uh, CEOs. They're coming out uh, and they're going to be pushing maybe maybe more than that, uh, pushing for uh, lessening the voter restrictions, their terms. And they have they're getting together a plan put together by a Harvard professor excuse me, a Yale professor, over the weekend. So these CEOs, if you think there was a big deal when they rallied with Delta and now American in Texas, it's going to get even bigger than that. Uh, And we'll see. They are way over their skis on this. They have not read these bills. This is reining in the loosening restrictions because of the pandemic. People didn't want to go outside. Now they do. And they also acknowledge that to make it easier works, drop boxes work, but they're not going to be everywhere. Ballot harvesting is not good for America. Forget about parties. Unbelievable. Dan Henninger next. Wall Street Journal. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the very beginning of the Second Amendment existed, certain people weren't allowed to have. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're just going to get you. We're going to do now. We're just waiting on Dan Henniger of the Wall Street Journal. We're seeing if he was just going to call in. But with two things he was talking about, I, I noticed Dan talking on the Wall Street Journal television show on Fox News. He was discussing how ridiculous it is, this Jim Crow law, describing the Georgia uh, restrictions or the new Georgia uh, measures as that's passed as Jim Crow. 
and, and to see James Clyburn talk about it the same way as Jim Crow. It's an insult to people that experienced all that. It's not Jim Crow. It's not restrictions to rein in minority voting. And if you don't get caught up in the rhetoric and the emotion of it, you'll know I am telling 100 uh, percent, giving the, the accurate story. In fact, when you turn around Major League Baseball within 48 hours, pulls the uh, pulls the All-Star game from there. There's other events coming up there, big events in Atlanta. Are they going to do the same thing? I want you to hear James Clyburn just, to me, totally disappoints me because he lived through all this stuff. Cut 34. If you go all the way back into history, when we first started uh, determining who was eligible to vote and who was not, uh, they were property owners. They knew that people of color, people coming out of slavery, did not own property. And therefore, no matter how many of them existed, they were not, they were denied the right to vote because they didn't own property. And then they went from that uh, to uh, having disqualifiers. And they picked those offenses that were more apt to be committed by people of color to disqualify voters than they did uh, for people uh, who were not people of color. And there would be poll taxes, and there would be uh, literacy tests, and there would be fees that have to be paid. And I get it. But that was the Jim Crow laws. It does not compare to what Georgia just did a couple of weeks ago. And for to characterize, as he later does, and I'll play this soundbite in a second, uh, the water situation and others, to Jim Crow is an insult to people who live through it, like James Clyburn. But obviously, I don't think that this guy has lost his fastball at all. I think he's on top of his game. He feels like it's more important to vilify Republicans and try to maintain the advantage they have in Georgia than tell the accurate story. That's my view. Dan Henniger might have his own view, deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. Dan, welcome back. Hi there. Good to be with you, Brian. Dan, I, I, I watched you over the weekend, and you came out and, and took this question on. Isn't it an insult for people that lived through those horrible times of Jim Crow to say this is Jim Crow on steroids, or for James Clyburn to give that example? I completely agree. Um, you know, I've been in this business a long time, and uh, politics is hardball. You don't get into politics uh, for sure unless you uh, expect the other side to try, you try to take your head off at some point. But this, what's going on uh, with Jim Crow, both Barack Obama calling it a Jim Crow relic and, my God, the president of the United States currently saying that uh, this is Jim Crow on steroids, uh, what's going on in Georgia and 40 other states. I mean, the, the extent to which the Democrats are now playing the race card about everything, uh, I think, honestly, has just deeply depressed a lot of straightforward people out there, uh, some who lived through the Jim Crow era, some who were around and alive uh, during the passage of the civil rights legislation in the 1960s supported that legislation, people who have made a good-faith effort over the succeeding nearly 60 years to right those wrongs, and then to have uh, major political figures uh, talking about Jim Crow and suggesting, as many of the progressive politicians now, that the um, city, the country, and especially its white residents are redeemably racist is so dispiriting. I mean, as I say, we know politics is hardball, but I think they're really doing themselves no favor with this. It's uh, just, I, I don't think it's going to fly because people are beginning to really, really resent being accused of these sorts and of things. And what these Georgia officials have to do is keep telling their story. 
And it, it, we're not trying to not give water to people online. We're not trying to uh, keep people from voting in the inner city. We're not trying to uh, do it. We just want to see if Americans can actually get ID to make sure you are who you say you are in all 50 states. Here is um, more from Clyburn because he addresses these things inaccurately. Uh, that is uh, cut 35. Come on, just look at the history, and it's there. What's on anybody's mind when you say, okay, we are going to deny voting places. We're going to get rid of drop boxes. We know we're going to create long lines. So now let's make it a crime if you bring someone a bottle of water while they're standing in those long lines. It's not what they intend. It's what the result is. So they can say anything they want to say about it. Just look through it and look throughout history, and you will know that what is taking place today is a new Jim Crow. Just that simple. You want to take that point by point? The drop boxes, for the first time, they're now in the law in the history of Georgia. There was an aberration because of the pandemic. And when it comes to water, you can have water on the line. They just can't have political entities hand out refreshments, bourbon, water, heroes, uh, beers online. That is almost in every other state. Right. And you can hand those things out nearby uh, away from the lines. Uh, The point is you just can't have people, activists passing through the line uh, you know, giving people water or beer, and by the way, who are you going to vote for? And let's have a conversation about it. You can't politic people standing in line to vote. That's basically what this is about. And uh, I think it's—I'll tell you, Brian. I think it, it shows desperation on the part of the Democrats and the progressives. We know that it's always been a rule of thumb that they—if they lost around 15 percent of the black vote, it's very difficult for them to win elections, uh, states or nationally. And, uh, you know, among black males, Donald Trump did make some inroads among them uh, in the last election. And indeed, the uh, unemployment rate uh, during the first three years of the Trump presidency among black men and women was historically low. They were getting jobs. I'd see it all stores opening, uh, food stands opening, young black kids uh, working these things. There was a lot of opportunity going on out there. And I think that the Democrats in trying to pass this H.R. 1 nationalized election law in a way that benefits them is ultimately an act of desperation. How else can you interpret uh, resurrecting Jim Crow to bust the filibuster in the Senate so they can get that piece of legislation through? Dan, I hear you. A couple other things. Uh, the You also took on Major League Baseball. So did David Wells on our show, the 20-year veteran, played for nine separate teams, most of which uh, the better years were with the Yankees. Is at, at some points, he was as good as it gets. Here's what he yeah. told us when this came out. To see this happening to our game of baseball, the great game of baseball, we're going to lose a lot of fans because of this, because of this narrative, because of this politics. It's crazy. Has it become a blue sport now? Because they decide to move their roster game to Colorado? Well, uh, let's put it this way, Brian. Uh, One can only hope the Atlanta Braves make it into the World Series because then they're going to have to play those games back in Atlanta, not in Denver. Uh, They're turning themselves into a blue sport. It's a very sad thing to say, uh, to see. Um, 
you know, I wrote my column about it last week. It was called Yes, Boycott Baseball. And I got to tell you, it, it was one of the I got one of the biggest responses ever to anything I have ever written. And it was about 90 percent in favor of the idea. Yes, boycott baseball. I think they're on the bubble. They've been on the bubble, as you know, with their fans, with the age of their fans. I do believe that uh, Rob Manfred, to some extent, was making a pitch to millennials, the idea that they're all into social justice and would support this sort of thing. He's trying to transition viewership away from regular television to MLB TV streaming services and that sort of thing. But I think it's a big miscalculation. This got a lot of attention. You know, some people said to me, all-star game, no big deal. There's no, you can never predict when an event like this is going to come along, seize people's attention and make them act. And it looks to me as though maybe MLB put its uh, foot in it with this decision. And when you talk to restaurant owners and um, anybody who has a catering hall, if they lose a confirmation or a communion, their budget's blown. Let alone if you lose the All-Star game where you're going to have people from other cities come for five days to festival for the day. No one cares about the game, but they care about the hoopla around it. And the city lights up and people come in and then they get introduced to your city maybe for the first time and they live here. So believe me, it is a big deal. And $100 million is lowballing it. Colorado officials said they expect to make $180 million. So I want to bring you to what happened over the weekend. Evidently, the... Uh, this uh, Yale professor organized a CEO Zoom call where they got over 100 CEOs, chief executives uh, of corporations, including one NFL owner, retailers, major airlines, manufacturers, to think out a way. Get this. This guy's name is Jeffrey Sonnefeld. Think out a way to mm-hmm. stand up for voting restrictions in America. I guess the next ire, uh, the next person in the eye of the storm will be Texas. But 47 states have looked to, re- to rein back in voting rules that will loosen up for the pandemic. What is corporate? You know better than me. You're a Wall Street Journal guy, Dan. What is corporate America doing now? What's the risk for them? Uh, the risk for them is alienating, I think, their own workers. Uh, these are CEOs. These are business roundtable types. Um, you get to be CEO uh, you start thinking in these sort of high-minded terms in the age of uh, social media, and they get together uh, with a guy like Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, and they all start talking themselves into these ideas. Uh, and it's basically they're, they're wallowing in wokeness, as I put it last week. They just can't get enough of it. And I suspect many of their employees are startled by it. And it's not really terrific for morale. Uh, They think that all the 20-something employees are into it. But there are people out there, their 30s, 40s, 50s, raising families, uh, just trying to do their jobs, uh, trying to help the corporation. And they end up, you know, with half of the country, Republican Party, beginning to vilify corporations. I mean, there are people in Republican politics who now – who say the party should turn away from corporate America. What they really mean is these idiotic CEOs. They don't mean all the people, the millions of people who work for these big companies trying to make a living. So I think they're off on the wrong foot. I think they're probably alienating a lot of their own people. But, boy, are they building up a lot of ill resentment in politics uh, for the the kind of uh, statements they've been making lately. Um, it is true. And I want to bring in this. While the CEOs get together to talk about what great people they are and how bad Republicans are, uh, this came out. 
in 2020, the worst year of uh, in my of my life, uh, economically, politically, socially, everything because of the pandemic. Everybody suffered. Everybody listening right now has suffered, except perhaps CEO and their pay. It surged in 2020 on an average of 15 percent. They take a look. 206 of the 322 major CEOs have had median raises of 15 percent from an average of 13.7 million last year, up from 12.8 million. So fantastic. So a time in which America is suffering and maybe member, uh, many of their employees have been laid off. They still got a raise, and now they get to meet on Saturday on a Zoom call, and they hail each other and how imperfect America is. Not a good day for this number to emerge. Not a good look at all. Uh, They weren't the only ones. I mean, to be sure, they're trying to hold their companies together. Uh, They were on lots of Zoom calls over the last year. But you know what, Brian? There's a lot of people who stood in the well and uh, came in and uh, did what they had to do. All of those hospital workers— all over the yep. country, uh, especially in New York City. They live out in places like the Bronx. They got on the subway, came in in the middle of the night to do their jobs day after day. Grocery clerks, drugstore clerks, uh, you know, we encountered them all. People all over the country encountered them. They're not getting raises or they're getting a small raise, nothing like what these CEOs are getting. And, uh, the you know, the, the ability of CEOs to do bad optics like this and shoot themselves in the feet, it's just seemingly limitless, and uh, here it has happened again. Uh, Dan, thanks for putting perspective. So you're saying 90% of the feedback that you got when you said time to boycott baseball was positive, and that surprised you? It did surprise me. It was just an outpouring. That was the thing about it. It was just people saying, yes, that's what I think, and I'm going to stop watching baseball. I've had enough. Obviously, I think MLB has a problem that Rob Manfred didn't recognize. It's, uh, people are sick and tired of it. And incidentally, quick quick point, I watched college baseball on television last week, Brian. Very entertaining, high-quality stuff. I highly recommend it if you don't want to watch the Yankees. Absolutely. Now those kids can get back to studying. That's what they really want to be doing. All right. Uh, <laughs> Dan, thanks so much. That semifinal game was as good as I've ever seen, UCLA against oh Gonzaga. Um, yeah. Dan, appreciate it. Okay, Brian, bye-bye. Sports reporter Dan Henniger. Uh, back in a moment with your calls, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Matsuyama is Japan's first Masters champion. Yeah, that's uh, pretty big news, uh, Japan's uh, champion. But they, he was so mellow in winning, I could not believe it. I'm like, did he come in 10th? Or did he actually win this thing? And Tiger Woods tweeted out something very nice. The Masters kind of cool. They had crowds, right? They had that majesty. They have this great crop of 20 to 30-year-olds. I think golf's in a pretty good place right now. It seems, and it's, I'm glad they didn't cave to move the Masters. Can you imagine then you wouldn't have had the first Japanese winner if they didn't play this weekend? Yeah, or they would have found another course. But you can't have the Masters. I don't think you can have it's not the, the Masters, Masters without Augusta. I don't, it's like, uh, let's just give up golf because I don't like the voting, voting laws. And, <laughs> and Crazy. Forget it. Um, did I tell you I took a lesson the other day? Of golf? No yeah. way. 
so I took a lesson for the first time in three years. I picked up clubs. I go, I just got to do And I, the guy was fantastic. He didn't overcoach. Told me where the whips got to come from. All the stuff people told me before, but something about the way this guy said it, it seemed to sink in. What made you want to like take up golf again? Because you have not had good um, I know, experiences but I in get the past. It. I just got invited. I get invited to all these incredible events, and if I was just competent, I would go. A lot of them are for like charities and stuff, so it's not just uh, to go out and hang out. But I just thought. It might be a good thing to learn. So, are you really just hoping that Brett Bear is going to invite you out one day? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, Brett actually went to the Masters to watch. I think he brought his camera there. That's what's good about hosting. If you're the host of your own show, yeah, I need to go cover Augusta. I'll have Shannon Bream do my show. Right? I'm going to go cover. I'll be the reporter at Augusta. That's the advantage of your name being yeah. on the Can't show. Can't wait to go cover the World Cup and let Will Kane cover me back in studio. Uh, Sarah listening online. Hey, Sarah. Hi. Uh, good morning, Brian. Um, yeah, the matches was uh, great to watch for the scenery. Yep. And I, I was there 15 or 16 years ago. It's as pretty today as it was then. Um, um, are you still on the line? Yeah, what's on your mind? Real quick. Yes. Yes. Just like to say that um, Donald Trump, um, it, you're correct. He's like a broken record. And in fact, he is. Um, he wants to complain, complain, complain. Uh, after so many have lost so much, um, and he has all the comforts in life, he still wants to complain how he was wrong. And there's so many who were wrong who will never get a second chance in this life. And I'd also like to say, I'm wondering if he's not psychologically trying to sabotage through division and conquer um, the upheaval, uh, psychological people through his party. If he's trying to sabotage... I hope not, Sarah. I hope not. See, I don't care where you stand on President Trump. It just doesn't do any good to look back. If they want to win, they got to look forward. They need all hands on deck from Liz Cheney to Mitt Romney to Donald Trump. It can happen. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a big hour. Brett Baer, just fresh off the Masters. He also has this great uh, special, five-part special on the history of uh, taxes in America. Fascinating. Uh, you saw a lot of it last night on Fox News Channel. The rest is on Fox Nation. Uh, that'll be great. And uh, Governor Mike Dunleavy is going to be with us shortly. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Former President Trump's speech at an RNC donor retreat. Trump again repeated the dangerous lie that he won the November election. That's not true. He called the results BS. He blasted Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as a dumb son of a bitch for not blocking the Electoral College certification. According to a person in the room, Trump received huge applause. Uh, Trump speaks to the party about his future, but more than about his past. And not many are happy, despite what Jake Tapper said. He points out the anger inside the tent, while Joe Biden's radical policies have helped money pour into his party. They set a record in money raised. Unless they come together, though, this country will relinquish its superpower status to the Democratic Party, and they'll be solely to blame, and so will Trump, unless he can put his anger aside. Number two. 
Uh, this administration made a decision early on. We want to do opposite of what President Trump did. They were warned by the Border Patrol in advance that if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. This is now what's happened. We've got the highest number of people coming illegally across the border that we've seen in 15 years. Well, there you go. She, she won't go, and he won't talk about it. I'm talking about VP Harris and President Biden and their refusal to address the biggest problem facing America, the chaos at our southern border, COVID-positive illegals, 35,000 unaccompanied minors, 53,000 family units, and we're paying billions to sustain them. Why? Number one. And I've been in Congress long enough to remember when bipartisanship was not unusual and that actually building infrastructure has never been a partisan issue. They made it partisan under President Obama by shrinking the bill. Hopefully the need is so obvious now that Republicans will vote for it. Uh, they just are so insulting. Bipartisanship, a word President Biden uses, but it's not what his policies say and do. The latest example is the infrastructure bill. Dems claim in their posters show it's popular with Republicans at large, just not GOP lawmakers. I don't buy it, do you? Let's bring in Governor Mike Dunleavy, the 12th governor of Alaska, elected back in 2018. Governor, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey, Governor, to call this an infrastructure bill is just an insult. I mean, of course, uh, bridges and tunnels and roads, they can do it. Even trains, we'd be for it. Modernizing airports, American people would probably be for it. Mayors and, uh, mayors and governors, yes. But not when they throw in elder care, child care, uh, money for unions, uh, it, Medicaid expansion. What does that have to do with infrastructure? I think it's an expanded definition that most of us don't recognize. I mean, as you said, we all recognize and everyone can get around fixing our roads, fixing our bridges, fixing our ports, uh, even uh, even things like uh, dams for hydro, which I think is up there uh, up their lane as well with regard to renewables. But you know, when you expand it to this point, it, it, it becomes uh, it becomes somewhat laughable. And folks really are. It's going to be tougher. I think a lot of folks in Congress to support it. That's the problem. But does it bother him if you can win over Joe Manchin? You don't need anybody. The parliamentarian ruled already, right, Governor? So you just need a well, simple. You can do it under reconciliation. I'm not saying Biden's going to budge. Excuse me, Manchin's going to budge. But if he does, you don't need a Republican. Yeah, and if, but if you keep going down this lane where you're not uh, working across the aisle, especially on something like infrastructure, infrastructure would be the one thing you would tend to think that. Uh, I know. Uh, if you worked across the aisle, you can get folks uh, folks on board, but not again, not not with this definition of infrastructure. I was in Texas last weekend and just talking to them about federal land drilling uh, gas and oil and what it spent. Even though they have wind and they have solar, gas and oil fuels the country, fuels the world, and uh, they got hurt when they said no more drilling for now on federal land. How about you guys? Oh, we, we got, uh, you know, we're, we're getting hurt across the board, whether it's uh, the cruise line issue with the CDC, whether it's uh, uh, stopping the lease, uh, leases from going forward in Anwar. Uh, Alaska has a few industries that power this state, and there's nothing better than oil and gas. And again, if, if, if these things are going to be curtailed, you're looking at an impact on jobs and for Alaska revenue. And so it's critical that we're allowed to continue to develop our oil and gas resources. We're going to need them for decades and decades and decades to come. And so some of this stuff really just doesn't make sense. And it's really going to cause economic hardship for a number of states, including ours. How much federal land do you have that you look to drill for, drill on percentage-wise? Well, the, the federal government the federal government owns about 64% of the land within Alaska. But on Anwar, it's really the equivalent of a postage stamp on the size of a football field. 
And that's the issue. It's really a small, small spot that can uh, that really could produce a lot of oil potentially for Alaska and for the United States. Well, Governor, didn't you guys have two years to start drilling? What's taken so long? Well, they, uh, President Susie got in, uh, put in an executive order to halt the sales, uh, the halt going through, I should say, with the leases, lease sales. And so it, that's going to that's gonna take time. And the thing with Alaska on a lot of these industries, again, is it's seasonal. We've got to be able to get up there, do, some, do our work um, in certain seasons because of the climate, because of the distance, lack of infrastructure. And so... Every, every delay puts us back even further. So it is, a, it is a problem for us. So tell me about this letter, this no-sale order. I know in Florida, Governor DeSantis hit the roof when they stopped him. They really put it, uh, shelved the cruise industry. What about you guys? Oh, this is if if this no sale order stays in place, it'll be devastating to Alaska. We're going to lose about three point three billion dollars between last year and this year, and it doesn't have to happen, Brian, because we we've managed this virus well in Alaska. If you look at our numbers, and I think if they just allow us to talk and work with the industry, the industry doesn't want to have a ship full of sick people. That's the last thing they want to have. But if we can't get this uh, CDC uh, no sale order turned around, we're going to lose another season up here in Alaska. And the problem with that, with the cruise ship industry, is they're going to go somewhere else. They're going to invest in other places, most likely um, outside the United States. And that would be devastating for all of us. So you're thinking, I'm going to send a letter, not sue. Why? No, no, we're thinking, no, we send a letter first. As a matter of fact, our our Department of Law has already drafted uh, uh, a language for a suit. Uh, we would uh, also look at potentially joining with Florida, doing our own as well. But we're going to we're going to give these guys uh, another day or two to help us out here. And if they don't, we've got to move fast because for Alaska, we've got about a week left at the most, and then they're going to cancel the season. Meaning the uh, cruise ships themselves will cancel the season and move their assets other places. And so we're we're at midnight right now. And if it doesn't work out for us, we have no choice but to file a suit. Would would, would are you offering a, a solution? So, for example, there's no pandemic, there'd be no problem. So are you offering a solution with testing and vaccines where maybe you say if you want to go on this, uh, if you want to go on this cruise, you got to get a vaccine or, or something to that effect? We, uh, I know that the cruise ship industry is having those very discussions. And I'll just say this very quickly. We had this issue back in the spring of last year when this pandemic was reaching its uh, its pinnacle. And we we had industries in Alaska that we worked with, the fishing industry that brought in workers from outside, the oil industry that brought in workers from outside, the mining industry that does the same. We worked with them. We, we came up with pro- protocols with them. We mitigated the virus. And actually, that's an untold success story on how little virus came in because of our approaches with the industries. The industry working with Alaska, we believe, will come up with the safest protocols there are and allow business to happen. So that's all we're asking is to be able to work with the industry Get rid of this no-sale order. Let us work with the industries, and we can provide a safe environment for everybody. So where are you at with your infection rate? Um, we are – well, our death, our death numbers are about 309, second only to Vermont. Our, our testing rate is one of the best in the country. Our hospitalization rate is one of the lowest in the country, and our vaccination rates are some of the highest in the country. So by all metrics, Alaska is doing better than the vast majority of states. And, again, that's because we have systems in place, but we work with our industries. We work with our people, our municipalities. And um, I think the, um, the results speak for themselves. And so that's what we're saying to the CDC. We know what we're doing. Let's work with the cruise ship industry. They know what they're doing, and we'll come up with a safe sailing season if you let us. If not, 
we're going to have economic devastation, uh, probably not just here in Alaska, but uh, in other parts of the country as well. So your party, I, I think that a lot of people are concerned about the direction of the country. I didn't know we elected AOC, but we seem to have. I, I thought we were electing this 78-year-old moderate who's looking to get things done, but it's not the case. And, it's, and, and the result has been the, Kevin McCarthy gave this number out of $27 million, said it was an all-time record for a quarter on a non, in a non-election year. And then they go down to Mar-a-Lago. I know you probably would have liked the trip. You didn't make it with some Republican leaders and donors. And the president really went in, uh, ripped into Mitch McConnell, ripped into Mike Pence, ripped into Liz Cheney. Here's what Senator John Thune said about the reaction, because a lot of people were upset that at a time in which your party should be coming together, they're not. Cut 24. Well, look, I, I mean, it's just, it's uh, like I said, I think a lot of that uh, rhetoric is, um, you know, it's uh, it's part of the style and tone that comes with the former president. But I think he and Mitch McConnell have a common goal, and that is uh, getting the majority back in 2022. And in the end, hopefully that'll be the thing that unites us, because if we want to defeat and succeed uh, against the Democrats and get that majority back, that's the best way to do it. So he's trying to be diplomatic there as the uh, the second most powerful Republican in the Senate. What do you think, Governor, Governor Dunleavy? Do you feel so removed from Washington up in Alaska that this doesn't bother you? Because it really bothers me. Well, obviously, we're going to be a, a stronger party if we're all on the same page. But I will say this, Brian, I, I, and I've said this to a number of people. President Trump was the best president in the history for the state of Alaska. And the reason I say that, we, we met multiple times, and our conversations really centered around uh, the president saying, what can we do for Alaska to to open up opportunity? And I, and I would say that's the, probably the most the starkest difference between this administration and President Trump's administration. It's opportunity versus cancellation. We have leases being canceled. We have cruise ships being canceled. We have opportunity being canceled. And so internally, there's going to be discussions, to, I think, to get us all together and, and moving in a direction. But I have to tell you, um, Alaska misses a Alaska misses President Trump, President Trump because of the opportunities he provided. I know. Listen, um, I thought he was a, a very effective president in many ways, better than anyone thought. He wants to get things done rather than do things that uh, check boxes for parties. But I think at this point, I think we've all been on teams before where maybe the coach doesn't like the captain or the goalie doesn't get along with the center forward. But what's the goal? To win a championship. you got to understand what's the goal? To win a championship. I, I agree. And, but I, like I said, you know, I wasn't there at that meeting, but I got to believe that uh, we're going to see a tighter, uh, a, a tighter group here as we go forward with um, all elements of the party, I think, working together to make sure that we get back on track because we can't we, we really can't survive another year or two of this. And so we're going to have to come together. I hear you. Uh, the governor got your hands full. I look forward to the letter and see if it turns into a lawsuit. But most importantly, I'd love to see the cruise industry get back. Give them a chance to be successful. We don't have to run the cruise industry. Let them do it. They know exactly. if it go, if if they get a bunch of infections, they're the ones blown up. They'll pay the bigger price. Let, Let them be responsible. Sounds good. Thank you, Brian. Go get him, Governor. Governor Dunleavy, helping us out uh, from Alaska, one 408 7669 Brett Baer coming up shortly. and then But next is going to be your calls. I'm going to end up with more to know and give you those stories that didn't make the top three. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. You think that you have herd immunity in Texas now? When, when you look at the senior population, for example, 70, more than 70% of our seniors have, have received a vaccine shot. Uh, more than 50% of those who are 50 to 65 have received a vaccine shot. Uh, I don't know what herd immunity is, but when you add that to the, the people who have acquired immunity, it looks like it could be very close to herd immunity. And by the way, got rid of the mask mandate, one of 12 states to lift the mask mandate. That was Governor Abbott of Texas. And right now the numbers are decreasing. I'm not sure what's happening in the upper Midwest. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But in Michigan, they're very slow with the vaccine and they're getting hit maybe with a variant they can't handle. There's a report out of Israel that they don't think that the Pfizer vaccine can block the South African variant. That, my goodness, is a is an issue. But 31 states have slightly rising numbers. Michigan, the biggest strike, it went up sevenfold. Uh, the big, biggest spike went up sevenfold since uh, February. Uh, so the Upper West is getting hit. Numbers are going slightly down in New York. But we got to get back to work. Johnson & Johnson shots have pledged 85%, a little bit manufacturing issues. I'm not sure if they're disappointed in the performance but that's what we're hearing. That's the single-shot vaccine. And there's another one about to come online. Keep your ears and eyes open for that. Mark, listening in Saratoga, New York, beautiful area. Hey, Mark. I am absolutely appalled with Biden's infrastructure plan with one uh, area that is especially wrong, and that is the charging stations. I don't own an electric car, but he's using my tax dollars to pay for charging stations when Tesla, with his their CEO, Elon Musk, the most wealthiest man yeah, in America, can pay for his own charging station. And leave my you. tax dollars out of it. Yeah, but what do you say to people say when we first got it? I remember I'm reading about Robert Moses' biography, and he's saying this things with the automobile. Why isn't the automobile paying for roads? You know, they make the car, and now I have to make the roads? I mean, that's back in the turn of the previous century, that was the talk. At least they better be kicking in. But it's, again, forcing the market, uh, molding the market, instead of letting the market mold mold, uh, the marketplace. And I would love to see, listen, more and more people are turning into the electric cars. That's fine. But I think the automakers can kick in, too. Lisa, listen, WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Lisa. Hi. Um, I just, you know, I I really beg to differ about with your comments on Trump, you know, uh, make, you know, okay. pulling down the party. What do you by mean? Calling out Chief and McConnell. You know, they need to go. Why? They need to go. We have a lot of rhinos in the party. He's uh, not a rhino. For He's not. Liz Cheney and, and Mitch McConnell are as conservative as it gets. They don't care about America first. They're right in bed with the Democrats. No, Come they're on. not. They're not. Listen, they I would tell you. It. If they cared about America first, because we did not elect Biden. You know, it's the same like a murderer being on the loose because they got acquitted by a jury. Biden is it cheated. They cheated on that election, and you know it. I know it. No, I don't, I don't know it. I have not seen evidence that uh, Joe Biden cheated on the election. I haven't. No one's been able to show it to me. They keep promising to show stuff, but nothing I've seen. And during the pandemic, there were rules out there that probably would never be back again. I get it. But that's what happens. And and the thing is, the way uh, Mitch McConnell stood by the president until after 
the the certification of the states. After that, he's like, listen, we lost. You can come back again. They worked together almost uh, shoulder to shoulder for three and three quarter years. And Liz Cheney is conservative and voted with the president more than Matt Gates did. You can't say they're not conservative. They had per- Mitt Romney has a personal problem with the president. Adam Kinzinger, a personal problem with the president. Same with Ben Sass. Those two didn't. They were willing to work with the president. After January 6th, they had a falling out. And to win, you have to put that behind you, see what your team is, find out what it takes to win, and then save the country. Because if we keep the current team in office, we're doomed. So that's what I care about. Effectiveness. What does it take to win? And giving a speech in front of donors, not giving hope, but looking back is not good. It's not good. Hey, listen, I don't like the way the last election went. Here's what we did well. This is what we're going to do better. This is why we're going to take back the House. And this is what I'll need to take back the White House. You get them going. Let all the other experts and historians debate on what happened. Look forward. Brett Baer next. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's good news for us here on uh, on the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show because it looks like we have welcome back our affiliate WGAU in Athens, Georgia, is now a part of of the madness, uh, which is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The effort to make tax collection more efficient had at least one unlikely champion, the free market economist Milton Friedman. And so Friedman came up with this idea, what if we withheld taxes from every paycheck that are then remitted to the federal government? Withholding would become one of the most far-reaching extensions of federal power. So Brett Baer went through the history of taxes. It's part of a brand new series on Fox Nation and a special that took place last night. Hey, Brett, welcome back. Hey, and congratulations on Athens. Yeah. Good, uh, between the hedges. And that's true. So you know Georgia well. Um, I do. So little by little, we're on WSB2. Uh, we'll be replayed a little bit later. But Atlanta's in the eye of the storm, Brett. <laughs> it is. It really is. And, and you know, you know, I was down at Augusta for the Masters for a couple of days. And, and at the beginning of that week, it looked like, you know, Augusta was going to face some of that. And then um, the chairman of, of Augusta National, uh, Fred Ridley, came out and did a press conference and took questions. And I think he really diffused a lot. Um, and I think it was a pretty good example of how, you know, different companies, different places uh, should have to should deal with uh, some of these challenges. And um but clearly, it's the eye of the storm down there, and it's probably not the first storm. A couple of things. I mean, we had Dan Henniger on for the Wall Street Journal. He said of all the columns he did when he said time to boycott baseball, he said 90% of all the email and the volume he got was like no other column he ever wrote. He said 90% of it was, I back you. I'm done with baseball. He was surprised by this. Yeah, and listen, I, I think that – these um, companies have to have to be careful. They have to tread lightly. Um, and, 
it seemed to many that Major League Baseball uh, jumped the gun, went fast. Now, on the flip side, um, if you have African-American players threatening to not show up to the All-Star game and then you have uh, other players saying they'll support them, I mean, it's a major issue, but it's an employee issue. Uh, staying, Getting politics out of some of these events should be the goal. Absolutely. So let's hear from Richard, uh, excuse me, Congressman James Clyburn, who lived through Jim Crow and still doubled down on it. Listen to this. Cut 35. Come on, just look at the history, and it's there. What's on anybody's mind when you say, okay, we are going to deny voting places, we're going to get rid of drop boxes, we know we're going to create long lines, so now let's make it a crime if you bring someone a bottle of water while they're standing in those long lines. It's not what they intend, it's what the result is. So they can say anything they want to say about it, just look through it and look throughout history, and you will know that what is taking place today is a new Jim Crow. Just that simple. Do you think he believes that? I don't know, Brian. I mean, it's just not right, he, he, says, he says in the soundbite, listen, read through it and look at our history. Well, if you read through it, it does not match anything in our history back to Jim Crow. And it's just so. Um, it's just, I think, for a lot of people, it's frustrating because the hypocrisy is crazy. You know, uh, Congressman Clyburn supports President Biden from a state in Delaware that has zero early voting days, zero. Uh, New York has more restrictive voting laws than this new Georgia law. No one is preventing anybody from getting water in line. What they're preventing is partisans uh, from influencing somebody's vote while they're in line. And that's a, a place that has happened in many states, 150 feet. You could put a water buffalo at 200 feet away from a polling place and have everybody come by. But if you're in line and you're handed a Biden water bottle, uh, that's not the way they want to go. They put that in the law. The reason they did is because they thought that they were that Democrats were abusing that in what they saw in Georgia. So I think it's just um, it's a little frustrating. And for people who actually read the law, uh, they know that that's that's not the case. And that's just crazy because so many CEOs are now getting on board condemning this law, let alone the commissioner of baseball. Now they're going to take aim at other states. I understand there was a Zoom call over the weekend put together by a Yale professor, at which time he had over 100 CEOs from airlines to manufacturing companies, even one NFL owner talking about ways to stand up against restrictive voter laws. Let's be honest. They're, the only changes in these 40-plus states are because the pandemic loosened so many up, we assume we're not going to have a pandemic in 2022. So I'm wondering what their next step is. CEO of Merck spoke out. The CEO of American Express spoke out. Um, these 100 chief ex- uh, executives, uh, they talked about the final steps they were agreed upon, the meeting represents an aggressive dialing up of corporate America's stand against controversial voting measures nationwide, a sign that executives' opposition to the laws didn't end with the fight against Georgia's legislation that passed in March. We know American came out against Texas, but what's going to change? Just create more doubt in the final result? Yeah, I mean, listen, all of these laws should be looked at individually. If there are bad elements in them, they should be debated. But if one of – I think a lot of these CEOs should be asked 
what are the specific restrictive provisions in these laws that you have a problem yes. with? Not 30,000 feet, we are against restrictive laws. What is the specific thing you're against? Because if it's voter ID, if it's providing an ID to make sure that you're the person who's actually voting, you know, 85% of people say, that's okay. I have to use an ID to get a beer. I've got to use an ID to get on the plane. I got, I mean, that's, for most people, that's fine. So is that one of the restrictive things? They should be pinned down to what restrictive elements of these laws um, they have a problem with. But, you know, Brett, these are the guys that are the smartest one in the classes we were in. You know, the CEOs, they rose up the ranks. They have great organizational ability, people skills, obviously great with numbers. We have to tell them to read the bill before they put their corporate reputation on the line? Really? I know. I know. And I think that a lot of them are fearful of kind of the mob mentality of what happens if some boycott happens. And uh, the ones who are rational and can kind of uh, take the politics out of some of this, I think, uh, benefit from them, which was why I was uh, touting Fred Ridley at at Augusta. And um, what he said and how he said it, I think, is a, a blueprint for CEOs down the road. So over the weekend, uh, you were in, you were at, uh, you were at the Masters. But over the weekend at Mar-a-Lago, a lot of Republican donors gathered in Palm Beach, and a lot of them went to Mar-a-Lago to hear the president speak and and try to get there, have a pep rally to get the Republicans rallied for 2022. And they do have a lot of money raised, but evidently, according to Axios and other reports, the president was not upbeat. He was very angry. Uh, and he was reflective of how he got screwed in the last election. Here's what Maggie Haberman said on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Cut 27. What they're trying to do is squeeze Alan Weisselberg. Oh, I'm sorry. Weisselberg. That's not the right one. Let's go to the other one. Yeah, let's go to the other one. He spent as much time attacking Mitch McConnell as he did talking about the future of the party or any kind of forward-looking vision. It's really breathtaking. This was a Republican National Committee donor event, and that is where he chose to attack the, the most prominent Republican uh, who exists in the country at the moment, uh, also continued to attack Mike Pence, the former vice president whose life was threatened on January 6th. This is the, the dilemma Republicans have, is or some Republicans all, but there are Republicans willing to criticize him. There are any other number of Republicans who went down to kiss the ring at Mar-a-Lago. And as long as that is going to happen, Trump is going to retain a presence in the party. So I don't care if you think Donald Trump w- was uh, scammed out of the last election or you don't. That is not going to, that's not the recipe for Republican success. So what do you do if Donald Trump's his singular personality who keeps looking back when you need to look forward? It's a major challenge for Republicans. And um, how they tiptoe through that, I think, is going to determine what 2022 looks like and what 24 looks like. Clearly, Trump is a major factor in the party, despite all of the things that he you know, says. But you're right. Looking back at the last election, looking back at how you feel aggrieved by certain people, Um, does not provide any blueprint for the GOP going forward to retake the House, the Senate, and the White House. So, you know, you get this feeling like he is going to run. I mean, there's all this talk about he's positioning himself. I'm not sure that that's going to happen, but he's clearly being courted by Republicans. They presented him an award. So he spends whatever amount of time ripping on key Republican figures, and then they give him a an award. I think um, this is the major challenge for the GOP going forward. Right. And I think if he understands that what his, a lot of his policies 
are playing out, even though they're being undone, the success that he's had is even growing if you look at this clinically and, and without party affiliation. You see what he did, and you see the mess that's happening now, especially at the border. You see the, the going back on the 2015 Iranian deal. Does that make anybody feel better? Do you feel better that your taxes are going to go up, that gas costs more, that prices of everything cost more, that spending went up $1.9 trillion? A lot of the things that you said we're going to have the drilling is stopped on federal land. These pipeline is, is diminished. They're not drilling in Anwar. We just had the governor of Alaska on. The president looks better by the day because Joe Biden uh, is performing the way he's performing. So more right. money would pour in if he could get out of his own way, I believe. Listen, I mean, that's that's the whole thing, right? Uh, every, every Republican you talk to who's even, even you know, in the suburbs, uh, if they're diehard Trump fans, it's, it's one thing they say. But all of them say that if you took his policies and you listed them on one side and then you put on the other side of the paper, you know, what he says and sometimes steps in it and used to be the tweets um, and that focus – if you just focused on the policies, uh, he'd be tremendously more successful. And, and um, I don't think at this point, just listening to that speech, that um, that has sunken into the former president. So, Brett, I watched your special last night. Looking forward to watching the whole series. Do you, are you like me, like when I started researching every book that I did, I was learning so much. I wasn't reviewing and organizing. I spent like a year just learning. Was that the same thing with you with the taxes? Looking back big at time. the history of, uh, of of this tax special, a tax in America. Yeah, big, big time. You know, I, I knew some of this stuff around the edges, and I, I knew some of these stories. But really digging in and seeing how our country started this tax system and then how it got out of control, how we lost control of the bureaucracy that became the IRS. Um, and... It, it really is this evolution. And if you think back to JFK, who's a Democrat who runs on cutting taxes, think about that. You know, And that was a winning formula back then because it, they, people could see that it was getting out of control. It's not until Ronald Reagan that that's actually realized. Um, but it, it was counterintuitive to what people thought at the time. Now we have a system that's almost its own behemoth. And, you know, the Biden administration clearly thinks that feeding that federal bureaucracy is the way to go to better people's lives. And I think that'll be debated in 22 and 24. It's a five part series, but it really is something that you learn from. And like you, every time I go back to history, I think we could learn so much as a country just looking about looking at where we've been. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I love doing that. I also love the set that you did with the flat screen. You looked like – I think that uh, Tucker Carlson, I thought he had a relaxing set. You have the most relaxing set. I'm not sure where it was <laughs> or if it was CG, but it looked no, really no, it cool. No, it was in, in D.C. It was a set in D.C. In fact, I looked at it, and I was like, should I have a coat and tie, or should I have, like, a smoking jacket in it? <laughs> or, or something so, else? So, Allison, are you going to tell Brett what, what I told everybody last hour? Oh, about your – I golf took a, uh, Brett, with you in mind, I took a golf lesson. I want to give it another shot on yes. last Thursday, and I think I got the best uh, instructor ever, very laid back, wasn't all over me to do everything perfect. I think we, we diagnosed a few things that would make the game more enjoyable. I'm going to give golf another shot. Are you encouraged by this? Nice. Is this going to change your life at all? I, I think it may. I mean, I'm really happy to hear that for the game, for the game. Now, I don't want you to be the group ahead of me, 
but um, <laughs> I would like you to pursue this. Right, on somebody else's time. On somebody else's exactly. time. <laughs> so you want to report. You want me to report what I do, but just not play with you or, or in front of you. Yeah, I want a little bit more practice. Than, than <laughs> Before I get the Brent Bear pro-am level. Okay. All right, Brent. Thanks so much. See you, man. 1-866-408-7669. Just like Fox and Friends, without the green room and free Danish, you're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I think it's time to find out if there is indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. So a California teacher, this is what I'm going to be talking about today with John Roberts and uh, Sandra Smith. A California teacher on Zoom was berating her 12th grade students by threatening their parents to stop suing to get back in school. Listen to this anger and arrogance. Your parents wants to me about their profession and their opinion on their profession, I would love to hear that. However, if your parent wants to come talk to me about how I'm not doing a good enough job in distance learning based on what you need as an individual, just dare them to come at me because I'm so sick to my stomach of parents trying to tell educators how to do their job. San Marcos High School in California the teacher's name, Alyssa Pyro. This was posted on Facebook. She teaches English. It appears to be referencing an ongoing lawsuit launched by a coalition of parents against Governor Gavin Newsom trying to get back in school full-time. They are committed to hybrid, I guess, the rest of the year. Do you believe that? And, and she's her- angry at parents for being angry at her. I, her tone was just so condescending, and she's not, you know, think of herself more highly. I mean, we're not saying how do you teach. We're saying kids need to be back in school. Uh, the local union reportedly voted to keep the hybrid model for the duration of the school year. Outraged parents and students anxious to return to in-person instruction. Next. We're going to swish it or am I going to pretend to do it? Swish. A Friends reunion to use the opening credits fountain uh, The originals on the original stage. Friends fans uh, tuning into the upcoming reunion special won't just see some familiar faces. They'll see the places too, including the famous water fountain on the original set. Read a whole story about this this weekend. They're all concerned about getting into shape and looking their best, closest to where they were. Matthew Perry has lost some weight because he had a huge uh, weight issue. Uh, also, I found out, what's her name? Um, not Jennifer Aniston, but Courtney Cox said, I can't believe how much bad facial work I was getting. She commented on her own plastic surgery, not plastic surgery, whatever it was, Botox. So I guess she had dusted. Lisa Kudrow says she's never seen a Friends episode before. So there's going to be a reunion. They're afraid of it being bad. But how could it be bad? I don't know how it could be bad as long as, I mean, they all are pretty sort of outspoken and seem to be themselves. So I think it would just be fun as long as they just joke with each other and, you know, aren't too uptight. Right. And half Americans picked up some of their nasty old habits during the COVID quarantine. A new study finds that two-thirds of Americans are actively trying to improve themselves for the post-pandemic world. They did a poll, 2,000 people, commissioned by Bagro and conducted by one poll revealed 64% want to look their absolute best. 68% want to be the best version of themselves when the pandemic finally ends. I got news for you. Time's running out. Sit up straight. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.